All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Geopolitics in Conflict Show. Very excited to be with you today because of my guest. You guys been asking for Mr. McGovern. He is here. So we're going to have a very, very interesting conversations. And uh, please send your comments, whatever you want. Just remember uh, to uh, sort of uh, share the link with others because this is a conversation you're not going to hear anywhere else. So I'm very, very excited. Good to have you, Ray. Very excited to have you here on our show. Thanks, David. Glad to be with you. Yeah. So what I'm going to do, guys, for you, I'm going to do a very, very brief intro about uh, uh, Ray, and I'm going to put the link for you in the description along with everything else. So for now, Suffice it to say, for those who do not know who uh, Raymond McGovern, he, he's going, he goes by the name Ray, first name there. Uh, he was a CIA analyst for 27 years. Yeah, you heard me. 27 years from 1963 to 1990. And in the 80s, he happened to be chairing the National Intelligence Estimates and also prepared what is known for us in the intelligence community at the time as the, B, as the uh, PDB which is the presidential daily briefing. So once again, guys, I am going to put the full bio for Ray for you in the description. So we don't want to waste too much time. We're going to get into our conversation here. So uh, what I would like to have your input, Ray, is I like to uh, get your feedback as an analyst to analyst here. You've, you've seen a lot. You've been around long enough to uh, witness how the U.S. foreign policy, if there was ever one, I would like to get your perspective about the U.S. involvement now in the Middle East with the Israeli conflict and whether can we be talking about the fall of the Western order as you and I know it. Well, the latter is true. Uh, we could talk about that forever, but let's focus right in on what's going on now. Um, what's going on now is different from all other imbroglios in the Middle East our country, that is my country, which I love dearly, is supporting genocide. Do not blanch before the word. It's carefully defined in international law, genocide, and the Israeli leaders are bragging about it. They are admitting it, they're proud of it. They say we'll cut off water, food, fuel, until these Palestinians are taught a lesson or driven out, okay? They're being very explicit about it. It's not like they're trying to hide it. Now, the thing that really hurts me, David, is that my country is enabling this. Without the United States of America, Israel could not do genocide in Gaza. I don't think anybody with a reasonable mind would dispute that. So why is the United States, why is this United States so identified with Israel that it would do these things? It's, it's an anomaly. It's unique. Professor John Mearsheimer, the head of the Realist School of International Relations, has said that never before in recorded history have two countries been joined at the hip, his word, to such an extent that for the United States, it will support Israel no matter what. That's also Mearsheimer's word. Whoa. So 
do U.S. interests always coincide with Israeli interests? Of course they don't. Mm -hmm. Right now, the U.S. is losing all manner of respect and prestige and influence throughout the whole world by condoning and enabling, I use that word again, enabling this genocide. So how does this all come about? Well, it has its antecedents with Zionism. And, yeah. you know, I have to tell you, David, when I was a boy, right, I grew up in the Bronx, New York City, right? I was nine years old in 1948, and there was great rejoicing. There were parades, there were bands. Israel had its own country. This poor persecuted people had their own country. Yeah. And I rejoiced along with everyone else. What did I know at nine years old? Nobody told me. Nobody told me there was already there were already people there that the Palestinians were being were being driven out of their homeland for several centuries, and actually you could say millennia. Uh, driven out how many of them? Seven hundred thousand, others say seven hundred. 50,000 Palestinians. Where were they driven? To Gaza, and to Syria, and to Jordan, and to Lebanon, and even to Saudi Arabia. There are as many Palestinians living, as you probably know, David, in those those areas as there are living in Palestine proper. So, so here we have this anomaly where John Mearsheimer says, this is really unique. Now, the American people don't know this, uh, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, Joe Biden says he's, he's the best Zionist in the world. Now, that doesn't mean Jew. That means Zionist. Zionist. That means the people came in and drove out the Palestinians in 1948. Um, the press, the media in our country, it's a, it's a known fact, heavily influenced by Zionism. Um, now, Congress, there's something called the uh, the, the Israel lobby, which actually John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt wrote a book about. <laughs> and that lobby is all powerful because yeah. they have unlimited funds to choose people to be in the Senate or in the House. And they're even active in primaries now. And I can tell you one, one recent example, if you wish, later. But let me just finish here. So B.B. Netanyahu, uh, the, the, uh, the prime minister for forever, in yeah. 2001, David, uh, he's in a, in a constituent's house, you know, nice little living room, and he's talking, he's really relaxed, you know, and there's a video camera going, and Netanyahu said, turn that off, turn that off. Mm. The fellow forgets to turn it off, okay. So, so this is recorded, it's on YouTube. Let me, I, I transcribed what Netanyahu said. He said, you know, we have to make it so painful in Palestine that we'll drive all up in this Palestinian. So we, we have to make chaos so they could see that they can't live here, okay? And a woman, the hostess says, well, uh, Mr. Netanyahu, uh, won't, won't the world react? Won't they call us occupiers? And Netanyahu, this to get this now, Netanyahu says, yes, so what? What? So yeah. what? You know, it's really ridiculous. Get this. 80% of the American people support us. It's absurd, wow. period, end quote. Now, that was then. 
The difference, David, is now it's less than 50% of the American people support Israel now because yeah. many of us have a conscience and they can see, uh, thanks to iPhones and other photography and other images, what the Israelis are doing in terms of genocide in Gaza. Now we have a humanitarian pause in the genocide. Does that sound a little strange to you? You know, a little kind of oxymoronic uh, yeah. humanitarian genocide? Give me a break. So we have to stop this. And the key, of course, is that neither Biden nor Netanyahu can do any of this without support of the American people. And the American people are starting to, to speak out now. Yeah. Jews, uh, the Jewish Voice for Peace, of which I'm a member, proud member, has, has shut down Grand Central Station. Uh, one of the bridges in Manhattan. Yeah, people are going to get up and say, "Look, you know, not in our name shall we do this," uh, yeah. and, and just has to stop. Yeah. I'm aware of the, the the Jewish community in New York. I went to school in Pennsylvania, so I used to go to New York a lot to spend a lot of time there. So I'm very familiar with how. Uh, and, and you're absolutely correct, Ray. Is the idea that at least for us Americans, I mean, it pains me as a, one who worked in D.C., well, former military, and so forth to see where the country is headed as far as its foreign policies. And now we're taking part of this genocide that's been going on. And some of us, when we speak the truth, we end up being labeled. Uh, you are anti-system. No, truth matters because that's how we ought to be. Here is where I found the trouble, uh, Ray, is the idea that international institutions like the ICC, the International Criminal Court, why isn't it stepping forward by requesting an investigation of Netanyahu for conducting war crimes? Well, as you know, there are attempts now to prosecute the Israeli leaders, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the fly in the ointment is, as you suspect, predominant U.S. influence in these institutions. That goes not only for the ICC, but for the EU, but for also the UN. Now, I'll say a word about the UN. Um, there is hope there. Yeah. As you know, uh, on the last resolution, even the United States didn't veto it. It was a humanitarian pause in the genocide. And, you know, that, that really grates that expression. Yeah. But at least it went through, right? Now, uh, what's going to happen now? What's today? Tuesday? Tomorrow, the Chinese foreign minister, Wang Yi, yeah. is going to be in New York at the UN. Uh, China happens to chair the UN Security Council this month, so they got two days left. Wow. He is chairing this meeting. Now, I don't know what he's going to do, but if I were advising him, I'd say, look, it's real easy. There's something on the books already. It's resolution, Security Council resolution 242. November 22nd, 1967, Israel must withdraw from all the occupied territories it seized in 1967, okay? That's real easy. Yeah. Unanimous was that there was that resolution. So why is the UN pussyfooting around here? We have to enforce that resolution. Now, will the, will the US veto a, a motion to enforce that resolution? 
Probably, but there are other ways to get at this problem. There's a general assembly. The UN is something that looks like it's sort of a residual organ, but it's not. You know why? Because the Chinese and because the Russians still believe that there has to be some sort of world order that was a real mistake not to have such before World War II, and that yeah. this so-called uh, international rules-based order is not only a fiction, but it's a disguise for U.S. hegemony, and that is that is slithering away. Uh, the sooner it goes, the better, uh, yeah. assuming it can go without undue violence. Mm. Well, you mentioned the, the UN, Ray. Uh, that brought to memory for me the latest uh, resolution where the U.S., uh, of course, uh, 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 rejected the call for the ceasefire. There were about 14 countries. The U.S. was at the top. Sadly, for our country not to uh, push for something that is right. Uh, there were about 46 countries or 44, don't quote me on this because that was the number, that abstained from that. The rest of the world was calling for a ceasefire. And the reason I'm bringing this up is to get your input as to, is this goes far beyond just the call for a ceasefire and reflect on the current geopolitical landscape in the Middle East that is changing and certainly pivoting east, which means the end of the U.S. dominance in the Middle East is coming to a close. Will I be wrong if I suggest something like that? No, I think you're right. Um, the resolution you're referring to, 14 to 1, 1 being the yes. U.S. vetoing it, was for a ceasefire, okay? Now, a ceasefire has a juridical meaning, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, U.S. didn't want that kind of juridical setup behind the ceasefire. Now, the next vote, as I recall, was for a pause in the bombing. Finally, the U.S. enabled that by abstaining. Uh, abstaining with one other, I believe. Okay. So that's where it rests at the U.N. Uh, the rest of your question has disappeared in my mind. Please repeat it. Yeah, it just has to do with, is this reflection of the changes of the geopolitical landscape? Because in the Middle East, we are already witnessing the shift from the U.S. towards the East. I, look, I give the example of Saudi Arabia. I give the example of GCC countries. They are all pivoting East economically and strategically. Could this spell the, the notion that the U.S. era of dominance in the Middle East is coming to a close. Will I be wrong in this assessment? No. Right again, as I would say as a teacher. Uh, the, uh, the dissolution of U.S. dominance in the mm. Middle East has been long in coming, but was given a big push by Trump. In other mm -hmm. words, he did some really outlandish things like recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, uh, like saying the Golan Heights, well, they're, they're, they're part of Israel now, like all <laughs> manner of other things and letting settlers just continue to settle, okay? Hmm. So that started then. Uh, the interesting thing is that Trump thought that he could send his son Jared to charm all these Arab leaders into thinking that the Palestinians all 14, let's see, 14, yeah, all 14 million of them don't count. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. Now, 
so they did all these nice little accords. Uh, some of the uh, Arab states more subservient to the U.S. signed on democratic, uh, diplomatic relations with, with Israel and all that kind of stuff, completely forgetting about their Palestinian brothers and sisters. Now, Hamas had other ideas. And whatever you think of the cruelty, and no one likes cruelty, of their attack on October 7th, as the head of the UN said, Gutierrez, it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened in the backdrop of the 75 years that I just deferred, 1948, I was nine years old. The Palestinians were driven out and half of the people in Gaza are direct descendants of the ones that were expelled uh, from mm -hmm. Israel at that time. So what they, how did they think they could get away with this, you know? Well, it took Hamas to mount this action to sensitize people to, whoa, this is, this is unjust, okay? And to make these Arab leaders realize that, look, you've got your own Palestinians, their populations there. They're not going to tolerate this, and you shouldn't tolerate this either. So as a result of that, as you well refer to, there's this coalescent. You have, mm -hmm. you have Iran and Saudi Arabia. You have Turkey and Bashar al-Assad from Syria. Yeah. These guys used to hate each other, right? They're at the same meeting now. This was a week ago. What did they decide? Well, I don't know exactly what they decide. A lot of people were disappointed because they, you know, took nice rhetoric, but didn't yeah. didn't warn anything about intervention in this in this imbroglio. But I kind of think that it's a new world now. It's not just me thinking this, others do too. And so the U.S. has to come to the realization that this is not only bad for the U.S., it's bad for Bibi Netanyahu. And the problem is that Biden is not fully compass mentis. Yeah. And his advisors are fully extraordinary people who think that the U.S. is exceptional and can work its will wherever throughout the world. They really think that. And so what are they going to advise Biden to do? Just hunker down there, stay with the Israelis, stay safe with the Congress, stay safe with the media, and all bedlam is going to happen. Already, more than a million people from Gaza yeah. have been driven south, okay? Now they're going to bomb the south. Uh, this is going to uh, this is going to force, in my view, not only the surrounding Arab countries, but Turkey and Iran, to think about how they prevent a, a genocide. And again, I use the, the term advisedly. You know, let me just finish with this, David. Um, everybody says, "Well, Israel has a right to defend itself, right? They defend itself." Well, guess what? Israel does not, under international law, have the right to defend itself in Gaza. Why? Because under international law, observed by everyone, Gaza is occupied territory. Okay? So, here you go. Back in World War II, you're too young. I was alive during the whole war. What happened? Well, some of the French summoned the guts to oppose the Vichy government and the Nazis in, in, in France. Now, are you suggesting or anybody would suggest that the Nazis 
had the right to defend themselves against the occupied peoples? I don't think so. They didn't, okay? Now, since the war, the legal code on all this has been refined to the point where you don't have to kill six million people, okay? You can you can kill a portion of that ethnic group, like maybe, maybe two million in Gaza, maybe one million, you know? Uh, this is crazy, killing people, ethnic cleansing, genocide. I mean, we really have to get American people sensitized and have their consciences awakened uh, to, the, to the notion that we are enabling this. It makes me so sad to realize that and to have to say it in hopes that your program and others will get this word out. You know, that's not us. That's not about asking the questions as to why is the government wasting our tax money on uh, Israel or Ukraine for issues that have nothing to do with it, with, with our welfare or our well-being here in the United States. We got enough issues here at home, let alone well, the government David, spending that tax money yeah. for no justification whatsoever. Well, there you put your finger on a major aspect of this. Where is our tax money going? Yeah. It's going to defense now you wow. said that we're not profiting from this well the top one percent is profiting up to kazoo if i can use a Bronx <laughs> expression okay they're getting richer and richer i have a new term for what uh, eisenhower uh talked about uh, in terms of the military industrial That's complex right. now you'll remember just as he's going out of office he said you know what you really should be afraid of, the major threat to democracy in this country is the military industrial complex. Now he meant to say, well, he wanted in his draft, we know stricken out is the military industrial congressional Small. complex. Right. Okay. Nah. So that his granddaughter finally asked him, you know, why'd you strike that out? And he said, well, I needed to get a couple things through Congress before I left. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, so right now he warned that the only antidote to yeah. the accretion of power, whether he said whether willed or, or just not willed, of the military industrial complex is a well, well informed citizenry. We ain't got that now. Instead of the MIC, instead of the military industrial complex, we have what I call the Mickey Mat. Okay. You mm -hmm. can remember it. It sort of rhymes with Mickey Mouse, but it's much more serious. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. Got a pencil? <laughs> yeah. Military. It's the military industrial congressional intelligence media. Wow. Academia think tank complex. Mickey Mat. Now, why do I say? media as if in all capital letters yeah. because the media is the linchpin you can't do this without the media you Indeed. can't have a a, a well-informed citizenry if the media is in control by the same people and the rest of the mickey mat so it's really really bad now and a lot of the explanation as to how we we give 3.8 billion dollars a year to israel for defense and why we're in Ukraine, why we keep spending all this money on non-workable anti-ballistic missile systems. Yeah. Well, it's because some rich people are getting much richer. And as you pointed out correctly, the rest of the US populace is suffering 
and there are more people in poverty now uh, than I can remember. Yeah. And we will talk about Ukraine uh, uh, soon enough. And uh, so just to uh, uh, conclude this part here, and I'm going to move to a next topic that I like to have your input on. Uh, uh, and the next topic that I'd like 